This is Radio Orbit, exploring the secrets of everything on KOPN Columbia. Good morning to you, wherever you might be. 
This is Radio Orbit. My name is Mike Hagan. I'm your host every Monday from 11 until 2. And uh, coming at you again Monday night, live from 915 East Broadway. What a strange, strange day it's been for me. I don't know why. Just a really weird day. I've been sort of feeling just not quite right all day. And it's continued in through the evening. Of course, Debbie didn't help much <clears throat> with uh, the most recent uh, installment of Brave New World, Aldous Huxley's classic, uh, produced, I guess, by the BBC sometime in the 80s. But, man, creepy, creepy stuff, especially in today's uh, political and, and uh, uh, social environment that we're in. Wild stuff, and uh, a lot of that stuff really still relevant. And uh, so, yeah, thanks to Debbie for that. Always great stuff coming from Free Range Radio Theater, Mondays at 10 o'clock. And uh, Jason and Kelvin bringing you blues plus jazz equals soul or something like that uh, before Debbie's show. Stick around for the boogeyman. He'll be coming up at 2 a.m. in about 2 hours and 53 minutes uh, after this show. In the meantime, it's Radio Orbit, okay? All right, tonight... We've got Lucy Pringle, and for long-time listeners of the show, you'll know Lucy. She was on the show last year in September, I think, but Lucy is a crop circle researcher or crop formation researcher. I guess we should use that terminology. They're not always circles. Sometimes they're uh, amazing uh, geometric formations that don't even involve circles. But at any rate, that's been sort of the catch-all phrase that's been used for many years now. But Lucy Pringle is a woman who's been investigating this interesting and beautiful and enigmatic phenomenon for uh, over 25 years. And we spoke with her about it last year, and we're going to speak with her again tonight, live from her home in Hampshire, England. Uh, from the United Kingdom live tonight. That's coming up in just about an hour. So stick around for that. And always interesting talking with Lucy. She's a wonderful woman and uh, has a lovely voice and uh, is very articulate and does a great job of explaining uh, a topic that's pretty difficult uh, to explain when you get to the deeper levels of it. So so that's coming up in just a little while, all right? Okay, thanks for the nice emails. We had a wonderful response to the show last week with Walter Cruttenden the author of Lost Star of Myth and Time. And uh, thanks to everybody who was listening and who sent notes uh, after the fact and called in. Uh, everybody, uh, those responses are appreciated. And I appreciate the people listening over the web as well. Lots of listens coming from the archives these days. So, yeah, thanks to Walter for a wonderful interview and a great show last week. Really interesting stuff about binary star systems and uh, whether the Earth and the sun are actually a part of one. Okay, what else we have going here? Let me talk about upcoming guests a little bit. I'm going to do some more uh, fun music tonight, by the way. I'm going to feature a guy whose name is Don or, or uh, Ron Erickson. Uh, pardon me, Ron. Anyway, Ron Erickson is a, a, a listener to the program, but also an artist of uh, high regard. And he's a musician and also a visual artist. And we're going to play some of his music tonight, along with my friend's uh, Jeff and William from Yachai, and probably some stuff uh, from Henrik and Leek music from Sweden. All coming up tonight on Radio Orbit Independent Music, uh, which we're going to start to feature uh, regularly on the program. So if you're a musician uh, locally 
here in the Columbia area, in the mid-Missouri region, an independent musician, not a commercial musician. I'm not looking for people that are signed. I'm looking for people that are interested in uh, sharing their music, uh, having me talk about it on the air, and uh, allowing for a couple of downloads online probably. And we will uh, direct people your way if they enjoy the music. So if you're a musician out there or if you know one that you think that might uh, be something that they would be interested in, please let them know about this. Or if you're a musician yourself, get a hold of me and send me some of your stuff. And if it works with the program, I'll play it and talk about it on the air. Okay? Uh, the email address with that in mind is orbitradio, O-R-B-I-T-R-A-D-I-O at AOL.com. That's orbitradio at AOL.com. And uh, you can also contact me over the web. And I would love it if people went on the web and checked out the new website, which I'm uh, pleased to say is sort of up and running now, although there's some tweaking to be done and some debugging and some little fixits here and there. For the most part, it's up and running. And uh, thanks to the amazing and wonderful work of my new friend and webmaster, Larry Norager, who's been just uh, just doing an uh, astonishing job um, uh, helping me out with a lot of this stuff. So thanks, as always, to Larry. Uh, I love you, brother. And uh, thanks to everybody who's gone there and looked at the web and sent their opinions about it. I encourage more people to do that. And to do that, you can go to www.mikehagan.com. Mike Hagan, H-A-G-A-N.com. Go there, check it, uh, check it out. Click around a little bit. There's a bunch of new uh, features and areas to the website, including a news page, which I'm pretty happy about, and a space weather uh, page, which is sort of uh, coming along, but not quite there yet. And uh, there's a blog there that I'm going to start to use a little bit more frequently, and lots of stuff. So I'd appreciate it if you took took a look at it and uh, let me know what you think. All right. Okay, that's at MikeHagan.com. Uh, Here at the station... The phone number is 573-874-5676. I've got some, <clears throat> I've got some tickets to give away, actually. What do I have here? I've got a bunch of tickets to, to go see uh, Pocket Dwellers uh, tomorrow night at the Blue Fugue. And uh, that uh, will be a fun show. And so when we take a break here at 874-5676, give me a call, and I'll give you a couple of tickets to go see... Uh, Pocket Dwellers tomorrow night at the Blue Fugue. That's right down on 9th Street. And a wonderful uh, reincarnation of an older club uh, in town. But the guys down there at the Blue Fugue doing a great job since uh, since the bar changed hands uh, a number of months ago. All right, so... Coming up next week, Doro Meinke. And Doro is a initiated shaman... Uh, in, I believe, the Kicha Maya tradition, uh, the Peruvian tradition, but uh, we'll verify that when we get her on the air. But at any rate, uh, a woman who's going to be talking with us on the air about male, initi- uh, male initiation and male initiatory rites, something that uh, is not commonly talked about uh, in the West, uh, but will be talked about next week. And it's real important stuff uh, for... Uh, for men and for, for for women to listen to, I think it's uh, it will be a, an enlightening show. I think for a lot of, for a lot of people. So uh, anyway, really looking forward to it. Uh, Doro Meinke coming up next week on the 21st of November. Um, 
the 28th of November, I sort of had an open date. And, you know, I've been trying to play this, this interview with Ralph Abraham, Dr. Ralph Abraham, that I did uh, a couple of months ago now. And, geez, I need to get it on the air. So, uh, anyway, I'm going to try to get that interview edited and play the, uh, the Ralph Abraham interview that I did uh, on the 28th of November. That's when we'll do that. So, unless something comes up and I just can't, uh, uh, and, I, and I need that spot for another guest. But every time I say that, something comes up. So uh, the live show is sort of taking precedent, obviously. Uh, the week after that, on December 5th, is uh, David Sarita. We'll be talking about uh, propulsion technologies and uh, flying saucers and UFOs and all kinds of interesting stuff with, uh, with David. The week after that, Michael Tsarion. Michael Tsarion is a, a guy who was recommended to me by a number of listeners, and I'm not fully uh, up on uh, the work that he does, but I will be by the time that we talk, and I'll tell you more about him as we move along here. Uh, Graham Hancock. This is one that I'm really excited about. December 19th, Graham Hancock will be on the air with us. Uh, Graham is another Englishman, uh, although he'll be talking to us from New York, I think, uh, in December. But uh, if you're looking for a person uh, of uh, a knowledgeable person in ancient uh, mysteries in general. Graham Hancock is, uh, if not at the top, close to the top of the list. And he is primarily an, e- an Egyptologist, but he has done much, much, much uh, work over many years, probably close to 30 years now, and written a whole bunch of books about all kinds of fascinating topics. And uh, we'll be talking with Graham about uh, about all this stuff, uh, ancient mysteries in general, uh, but uh, certainly some some specifics as well with Graham Hancock uh, on December 19th, and I'll tell you more about that program as it uh, as it sort of comes together, and he and I uh, talk a little bit about what we're gonna uh, what we're gonna cover. Uh, but he does have a new book out that's called Supernatural, and interestingly enough, it's the first time, uh, to my knowledge, in Graham Hancock's career that he has brought a component of shamanism. And entheogens into uh, uh, into the into the discourse. So really interested to talk with with Graham about that uh, and his new book Supernatural. So that's coming up. Mark Pesky, uh, the inventor of VRML and uh, a, a techno guru uh, of the highest caliber, living in Australia now. Uh, but Mark will be on the air sometime, probably in January. Paradise, Michael Heisen, everybody, uh, uh, some of the regulars that you know will all be coming up in the new year as well. So that's what we've got uh, coming up on Radio Orbit. I appreciate you listening to the program, and uh, we will be back in just a few minutes with a little bit more to say. In the meantime, this is Ron Erickson, and uh, I know a little bit about, let me tell you a little bit about this uh, this music that I'm going to play. The uh, the song is called Civitas Day, and it's from uh, Ron's uh, CD that's called Exuberant. And uh, Civitas Day, it sort of suggests a uh, a spiritual celebration of sorts, I think. But it's taken from the Latin Civitas Dei, D-E-I, which means the city of God. Uh, so this is a, a wonderful composition by Ron Erickson, Civitas Dei. Independent music on Radio Orbit. We'll be back at you in just a little while. (laughs) 
All right, that music was from Ron Erickson and uh, from his CD, Exuberant. We'll hear some more stuff from Ron as we uh, go into the program tonight. And you can uh, download and get a listen to some of Ron's music at MikeHagan.com. Just go uh, over to the Music Tracks section of the website. Okay? All right, and... uh, I do have my good friend Matt here, and he's sitting across from me. How's it going, Matt? Doing good. Yeah, Matt's helping me out here. You may have recognized his voice. He's been on the air a couple times over the last uh, uh, last month and a half or so, and uh, helping me out. And uh, we appreciate it. So thanks, Matt. You're welcome. All right. Okay. Um, let's see. What time is it? All right. Let's do space weather. The Beaver Moon. It is a full moon. Actually, it will be tomorrow. Um, but uh, in November, they call there are no, there are lots of different names for the different full moons of the month, and uh, uh, a lot of them go back to indigenous uh, Native American ideas. Uh, but in this particular case, in November, one of the things that uh, uh, one of the names that they call uh, for the full moon they use for the full moon is the Beaver Moon, and uh, this was uh, traditionally a time to set beaver traps uh, before the swamps froze and uh, a time of the year to make sure that you had a healthy uh, stockpile of warm furs uh, for the coming winter. And uh, there is some other idea that the, uh, that the name comes from the fact that, uh, that beavers uh, at this time of the year are, are, are themselves actively preparing for winter. I sort of like the first... Uh, uh, idea better, but at any rate, uh, it is the full beaver moon tomorrow night, and uh, although it was pretty cloudy out tonight, it was really unfortunate, too, because there's a, a, uh, some interesting astronomical uh, configurations happening right now, Mars and the moon in particular, uh, but anyway, uh, the moon full tomorrow night, hopefully we'll get a better chance to look at it than we did tonight, and... Uh, you'll see the beaver moon for yourself. It's also called the frosty moon uh, in November. So um, the frosty moon and Mars are uh, preparing for a close encounter. In fact, tonight, even although we we, we weren't uh, we weren't able to see it, uh, they would have been rising together, basically side by side uh, in the east at sundown this evening, and. Um, Unfortunately, because of the cloud cover, we weren't able to witness that here. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, Mars and Venus both bright in the sky uh, for uh, uh, for the rest of the month as well. All right, it's been nearly a month, uh, maybe even over a month, since, the, since there's been any significant activity on the sun. There was that wild, uh, just an outrageous outpouring of gigantic flares about a month and a week ago, uh, 19 or some odd X-class flares over the course of seven days. I mean, it was just absolutely uh, unprecedented uh, what happened on the sun a month and a half ago. Uh, But since then, it's been very, very quiet. And uh, just today, a large group of sunspots uh, sort of peaked its way around the eastern limb of the sun, and uh, it's now becoming sort of a sort of an active region on the surface there. And there are uh, a number of M-class flares that have happened in the last 24 hours, 
And this is originating from this sunspot that's called, uh, just classified as 822, but sunspot area 822 uh, has the potential for some significant activity. So we'll keep our eyes on that and uh, uh, and watch the sun like we always do. But the, uh, so far, none of these have been Earth-directed, the flares that have emanated from that particular area. Uh, but that can change as this, uh, this area rotates on the disk and... Uh, becomes more Earth-centered, as uh, as it's called. All right, what else? There are uh, a couple of meteor showers that are going on right now. We talked about the Torrids um, last week, and uh, the Leonids are also going on. In fact, the Leonids will peak uh, toward the end of this week, uh, Thursday, actually, November 17th, and although they are peaking, it's nothing like the activity that we saw uh, a few years ago from the Leonids. Right now, they're sort of um, it's sort of a weak, uh, a weak meteor storm. Uh, whereas a few years ago, it really was a storm, and the skies uh, were sort of filled with bright meteors in the early mornings, uh, in the early morning hours. Uh, but not this year. The 2005 Leonids are expected to be oh less than 20 an hour, and that's sort of how they classify these things. If you're if you're staring at the sky. Uh, how many of these things will the naked eye observer see in the period of one hour? And uh, in the earlier um, uh, Leonid showers a few years ago, it was upwards of 100, 150 an hour, and uh, now they're talking about under 20 an hour. So uh, it'll also be hard to see because of the full moon, and um, so probably not a real wonderful time to see the Leonids. But nevertheless, if you're an enthusiast, uh, go outside and usually in the early hours is the best time to do this. Uh, look up on the early hours of the 17th, and um, you'll get a nice chance to stargaze and see the moon up there with Saturn, and you may spot uh, some meteors as well. Okay. All right. Um, speaking of the moon, I found a nice story here on the web that actually was pretty informative and talks about a lot of... Uh, uh, a lot of facts and uh, myths about the moon. And I haven't really done that in a while. I uh, talked about it, and I've had the moon on my mind a lot lately. And so I'm going to read a little bit of this to you, okay? And it's 11.30. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia. And we'll have Lucy Pringle in 30 minutes talking to us about crop formations, live from her home in Hampshire, England. All right, blame it on the moon. Tuesday's event is a good time to indulge in a little lunar lust. As the Earth's constant celestial companion rumored to have a dark side that it categorically denies, the moon gets blamed for everything from natural disasters to the fathering of children. The moon doesn't mean to be a troublemaker. All it really wants is to, is to dance around us at the dizzying averaging pace of 2,287 miles per hour, three times the speed of a 22 caliber bullet. With a full moon rising on Tuesday, meaning the Earth will be lined up between the moon and the sun, a setup for the maximum reflection of light, now is as good a time as any to indulge in a little stream of consciousness moon lust. Uh, this story, by the way, from the Anchorage Daily News in Alaska. Okay? Uh, the, invention of the, tele- uh, the invention of the telescope in 1608 gave early scientists a little uh, closer v- view than, it, than was had earlier. As scopes got stronger, they could see that the moon was pockmarked with craters. In addition to craters, the biggest 
miles in diameter, the moon has volcanoes and mountain ranges up to 8,000 feet high, lava fields, and other features that can be detected these days with an ordinary pair of binoculars by those who know what they're looking for. The moon was first visited by the Soviet spacecraft Luna 2 in 1959 and first walked upon by man and uh, American man uh, in 1969. Now that we've been there and taking a look around, we know a lot more. Uh, besides the lunar landscape being really gray and dusty, we know a lot more about the moon uh, and uh, many things that uh, most of us cannot even pronounce. It turns out that nobody lives there, neither gods nor ghosts, no Walmarts. Uh, there's land up there for sale, however. Nice views, very quiet, lots of free parking, no zoning whatsoever. It's an Alaskan's dream. At the moment, there's a special deal on acreage on the northeast side of the Sea of Tranquility, where Apollo 11 landed near the, near the crater Arago, or Arago. Uh, no oxygen, but what do you expect for twenty nine ninety nine an acre? Now, they're sort of joking here, but uh, they're not, actually. Uh, you continue, seriously, your potential prudent investment or slice of green cheese comes with a certificate suitable for framing. Check it out at www.lunarlandowner.com. They're actually somebody, whether it's legit or not, who knows, but somebody's trying to sell land on the moon. Uh, in 1835, the New York Sun reported life on the moon. Uh, the story told how English astronomer Sir John Herschel, using a super-powerful telescope, could, uh, could magnify 42,000 times, and he was able to make out all kinds of life forms up there, 16 species of animals, 38 species of trees, 16, uh, seven, 76 species of plants, and bat-like humanoids with yellow skin and wings. Hmm. And this way, way, way before acid. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I don't know. Let's see. What else we want to read out of this? All right. Here's some, here, here's some, real, here's some actual facts about the moon, okay? All right. The moon is 2,160 miles in diameter. Uh, it's about 27% the size of the Earth. Its surface area is about that of the continent of Africa. Uh... It takes the moon about 27 days and 7 hours, 43 minutes to do one lap around the Earth. It rotates on its own axis, making one uh, revolution every 27.32 days. And uh, that's some stuff about the moon. All right, And I'll have that story and others posted up on, uh, on the website. And you can read those if you go to MikeHagan.com. And go to the news section of the website. All right? Okay, what else do I have here? Another interesting story that comes from Discovery News. And uh, this particular story is titled Mysterious Runaway Star Stymies Scientists. Hmm. Scientists stymied again. Can you believe it? Uh, astronomers have stumbled onto a runaway star inbound to our galaxy that might have been kicked out of our nearest galactic, uh, galactic neighbor by a supermassive black hole. Uh, we first thought our wavelength calibration was off, said astronomer Ralph 
Napawatsky of the University of Hertfordshire's Center for Astro uh, Astrophysics Research in the United Kingdom. The light from the star was both the wrong color for where the star is located and showed spectral signs that it is traveling inbound to the Milky Way at an unusually high speed, about 1.6 million miles per hour. Yeah, that's cruising pretty good. Uh, the light from HE0437 indicates that it's a rather healthy young star, like those found all over the Milky Way. Yet this star is located out in the Milky Way's hinterlands, the geriatric ward of the galaxy. Napawatsky's first thought after confirming the star's spectral information with the European Southern Observatory's Very Large Telescope in Chile was that the star had been slingshot out of the core of the Milky Way after a close call with a giant black hole there. That would account for the speed. But after calculating the star's velocity, uh, location, and age, that just didn't add up. The bottom line is that the star is too far away from the center of the Milky Way to have made the trip and still be so young. I agree with the, uh, let's see, um, said Napawatsky, who with several German colleagues has authored a paper on the matter in the coming issue of Astrophysical Journal Letters. I agree that ejection from the galactic center is not very plausible, said University of Texas astronomer John uh, Cormandy who was not involved in the discovery. The star's lifetime is too short, giving this the necessary travel time. It's more likely that the star is from the large Magellanic Cloud, uh, an irregular galaxy very near but outside the Milky Way, and visible in the night skies of Earth's southern hemisphere. Uh, but uh, the large Magellanic Cloud, um, the large Magellanic Cloud poses another problem, said Cormandy. Almost certainly the, L the LMC does not have a supermassive black hole to do the same job. That means something even more unusual may have thrown the star toward the Milky Way, something like a sideways blast by a much bigger companion star that exploded as a supernova. Blah, blah, blah. But, again, the story, strange things in uh, space and very little explanation Obviously, simply speculation uh, if you uh, read between the lines of what the um, uh, what the scientists are telling about that uh, telling us about that one. Uh, but interesting nonetheless. So we will think about it and come back in just a few minutes. Let's play a little bit more music uh, by Leek, by my friend Henrik from Sweden, and uh, also he's the proprietor of the website Red Dash Ice dot com redice dot com a great alternative website for interesting information all the time and I'll get Lucy Pringle on the telephone and we'll get ready to talk to Lucy here at the top of the hour okay all right this is Mike you're listening to Radio Orbit
All right. Good stuff there. That's Leak from Enola Gay. And uh, the man behind the music, his name is Enrique, and he runs a website that's called redice.net. You can check that out on the web, www.red-ice.net. And a real interesting website that Henrique runs over there as well. And a super talented musician. That song was called Snow. And we'll play another song or two by Henrique uh, tonight, a little bit later in the program, okay? All right, this is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. And it is <clears throat> about 13 minutes before midnight. Uh, it's Monday, the 14th of November, soon to be the 15th. And uh, just after the top of the hour, we'll have uh, my guest Lucy Pringle on the air with us, and we'll be talking about crop formations and a little bit about her history and what's happened this year, what the what the crop circle season was like this year. And uh, we'll just have a friendly discussion with Lucy and see what's uh, what's going on in her world. Okay, that's coming up in just a little while, about 15 minutes or so. All right, I uh, just got on the web. <coughs> to see if there was anything that I missed, uh, news stories that I wanted to talk about. And i got a few extra minutes here, so uh, I went to, to the news page at the website here. And again, you can get there yourself. There's a bunch of different stories here, and we're adding them daily. Uh, at MikeHagan.com, M-I-K-E-H-A-G-A-N.com, and just go to the news page, okay? All right, here's uh, an interesting one. Alien artifacts in the solar, sti- in the solar system. This is the... Uh, uh, the uh, the title of this particular article, this is from Fate Magazine uh, from this month. And, of course, Phyllis Galdi, uh, been on the program uh, here with me before, is the, the owner and uh, publisher of Fate Magazine. But anyway, this is from Fate this month, and it's entitled Alien Artifacts in the Solar System by Kurt Southerly. In late 1991, a strange object approached and passed within celestial spitting distance of the Earth, causing surprise and some disquiet among astronomers before vanishing back into the depths of space. The object was cataloged as 1991 VG, and to this day, it remains a mystery. Uh, it's, an, it's a wild story. So I'm just going to read you that little teaser there, and you can get on the web and go read it yourself, but um, uh, it's a real interesting story, this, this story of 1991 VG, this object that... Uh, cruised by Earth some 14 years ago. It still is yet to be explained. All right, here's um, oh, here's one that I was that I'm actually quite interested in. Uh, this is from the uh, the Arts Telegraph, and it's titled "How the Dead Live." But uh, I'll just read the top of the article for you here. It'll clear it all up, but uh, for the first time in 1,300 years, the great Tibetan book of the dead has been translated into English. Uh, So this is a big thing. If uh, you're not familiar with (laughs) the Tibetan book of the dead, now isn't that synchronicity for you, okay? Um, If you heard that little crash in the background there as I'm talking about the Tibetan book of the dead, the... Uh, the thermostat fell off the wall <laughs> of the studio here uh, at the radio station. So 
All right, creepy stuff going on as the whole... I tell you, the whole day has been so strange. It's just been this weird day. So, anyway, it continues. So go out and grab a copy of of the uh, Tibetan Book of the Dead. It's only been 1,300 years since anybody read it in English. And I'm sure that there are uh, interesting passages in that particular book. All right, what else? Uh, the universe is only pretending... In quantum physics, nothing is as it seems. As physicists continue to study the universe, they continually run into new questions that shake how humans understand the universe's intricate uh, mechanisms. University of California Berkeley physics professor Rafael Busso is trying to break down the mysteries of the universe with a concept called holographic principle. The holographic principle. Physicists stumbled on the idea while studying black holes. It is a concept which ultimately questions whether the third dimension exists. <laughs> so you always thought we lived in 3D reality. Well, these guys say that the third dimension doesn't even exist. Stranger and stranger. You know, the tools of modern science have thrown open the doors on the unimaginable. And science doesn't know what to do with itself uh, because of the things that it's found with its own tools. And I love it. I love all these silly stories that come right out of mainstream science uh, with, without a grin. It just cracks me up. Anyway, lots of uh, other news stories on uh, the site as well. And uh, one last time, you can get there at MikeHagan.com. And uh, just, click on the, uh, just click on the news section of the website, okay? All right, we're going to play one more piece of music here. We'll come back and do a relevant story. Uh, to our interview tonight, and then we'll start things off with Lucy Pringle. In the meantime, you can check this out. This is Jeff and William, my friends, Yachai, from Sweet Mother Mercy. And on the 19th of December, uh, when I do the show with Graham Hancock, I'm going to feature the music of Yachai the entire night. And I hope uh, that you guys will enjoy it. This is, again, from Sweet Mother Mercy. This is Pachamama, Yachai Music, on Radio Orbit. Pachamama mucha na piyu yarenjin mama taita
Chai Music on Radio Orbit. This is Mike Hagan, and uh, talking about one more quick story here before we bring Lucy on the air with us, but something that I was snooping around on the web for and found uh, this afternoon, so I'll just read it really quickly to sort of set up our conversation to come. But this is from, uh, from uh, the Rutland Herald, and it says, Crop Circles Spellbind and Thrill Weekend Conference Goers. Organizers of a weekend-long conference at Goddard College weren't pointing directly to extraterrestrials as the makers of crop circles, but they were calling some of them geometric phenomena that couldn't have been created by humans. About 120 people from around the country and Canada gathered at the Rural Plainfield School Friday through Sunday for the 4th U.S. East Coast Crop Circle Conference organized by Starksboro couple Glenn and Cameron Broughton. Crop circles are patterns in farmers' fields where crops have been laid flat overnight. That's sort of an oversimplification, and we're not going to go too deeply into that. Uh, there are unexplainable crop circles, uh, numerous unexplainable crop circles that couldn't have been made by man, Cameron Broughton said. 
She also describes scientific anomalies said to occur within crop circles, including electromagnetic field changes and molecular changes to the crop itself. Well, um, the, what, the, the, uh, the woman who we have on the air with us tonight, and who we have the pleasure of talking with, is Lucy Pringle. And uh, for those of you who have been uh, listening to the program for more than a year or so, you heard Lucy last September and uh, talking about these exact things. In fact, Lucy is uh, the, the founder, actually, uh, and a member of the Center for Crop Circle Studies. She's widely known uh, as an international authority on the subject uh, of crop formations and crop circles, and she's a pioneer research into the effects of electromagnetic fields on living systems. And uh, she's also a fantastic photographer, and uh, she's been researching these amazing and beautiful and enigmatic formations on the landscapes of our planet for more than 25 years now. And uh, she lives in England, and we have her live on the phone from, I believe, her home in Hampshire, England. We'll check in just a moment. But uh, uh, without further delay, thanks very much, uh, Lucy Pringle. Welcome to Radio Orbit once again. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, in fact, I was at Goddard College. I was, I was one of the speakers. I was uh, very kind invited me to go over uh, from, from England to be one of the speakers. Is that right? Well, wonderful. I kind of, yeah. uh, I kind of yeah. thought, I kind of thought so. Uh, I, I, I looked at the guest list. I have to say that uh, I didn't read that article without knowing, but uh, uh, I figured it was a good way to introduce you and maybe, uh, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe with, um, uh, maybe to get things started. Well, first of all, thank you. It's very early in the morning uh, there in England, uh, just about six o'clock, I think. So uh, yeah, maybe. it's so dark. Yes, it is. Yep. Yeah, well, it's, you know, we have one thing in common. It's dark here as well. So, what time is it with you? It is midnight straight up right now. Oh my goodness! Right. Yeah. Six hours different. That's right. Six yeah. hours. So anyway, thanks again, yeah. Lucy, for uh, for getting up early and spending your time with us. But let's talk a little bit. If you could give people just a little bit about your background for the people that aren't familiar with um, with you and with your work, and then maybe we can start off. We'll talk a little bit about that conference that you were just at. Uh, well, my my background is that I've, I've been interested in the unexplained for ever since I was a child, really. And um, I particularly have um, become interested in the uh, effects of electromagnetic fields on living systems, as Mike was saying. And that really means what happens to um, to uh, human beings and animals when they go into crop circles. Also, uh, what happens to uh, inanimate objects such as um, camcorders, mobile telephones, cameras, mm-hmm. um, electrical devices, uh, when they are taken into crop circles, what happens to uh, uh, aeroplane instruments, uh, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is really my my particular area of of research. Okay, all right. Well, uh, and let me get one other bit of business out of the way here. If you're interested in uh, seeing some of the amazing imagery that Lucy's put together and also lots of information about this phenomena uh, or these phenomena in general, you can go uh, to Lucy's website at www.lucypringle.co.uk. And uh, one more time, that's lucypringle.co.uk. And you can also get there directly from 
uh, from the Mike Hagan website uh, at uh, the Tonight's Guest section of um, uh, of my site. And I encourage everyone to go over there because, uh, the I mean, a picture is worth a million words uh, in, in some of these cases. I'm, you know, Lucy, I've, I've, I never get over the... Uh, the beauty of these things, regardless of how they're being created. Uh, well, that's right, and um, I don't think any of us do either, because in each year we try and think ahead and think what may appear in the field the uh, following summer. <laughs> we're all we're all far short of what actually appears. I mean, our our imagination is is, um, is far far uh, less than, than the. The, the wonderful things that appear in, in, in the field, new new designs each year. Yeah, I just uh, I just clicked over to your website and I'm and I'm looking at uh, some of the images from July and I mean it's just like just throw a dart, you know what I mean? And any one of them that you hit uh, are, is just a fantastic uh, fantastic production. Yeah. All right. Well, what? Uh, so, so what's the latest? What uh, what what were you what were you discussing and what was going on at this conference at uh, at Goddard? Well, there were there were there were several several speakers, um, and um, they all had uh, various various aspects of the, 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 the phenomenon to to uh, discuss. Um, one of the one of the interesting speakers was was from from uh, the state, somebody called Jeff Wilson, um, who has done extensive research on crop circles in in America. Uh-huh. And what I hadn't realized was that uh, uh, you get crop circles all year round due to the fact that the, the, the huge geography of, of, of America. Mm. Um, and he showed off saying that, yes, they do appear all year round. Um, quite amazing. And uh, one of the things that, that interested me particularly was um, that most of our 93% in fact, geological surveys have been done, and they chose that 93% of all our crop circles appear on chalkland, and mm. this seems to make uh, a lot of sense from uh, the scientific angle that um, as is, when, the, when the, the, the circles appear, there's, there's a discharge of a huge electrical force mm. uh, on the ground, probably hundreds of thousands of volts. Uh, per meter just for a nanosecond, if it's just no longer than that, we, we get, well, the crops will be burnt, and occasionally we do see evidence of scorching on the fallen stalk. And obviously, under, under the, the chalk, we have aquifers, which are springs of water, mm-hmm. uh, water springs, and, and those act as, a, as an attractor, the electricity, the negative and, and the positive ions, IRNS, they act as attractors. And I was going to, to Jeff Wilson, have you done any geological surveys, geophysical surveys in, in the States? And he said, uh, yes, we have. Mm-hmm. And he said the majority here appear on limestone. Mm-hmm. Now, limestone is also a porous, uh, a porous mineral. Mm-hmm. So that again makes sense, which is, which is very, very interesting. It's the same basic principle as, as is, um, is apparent in, in the UK. Hmm, interesting. And it turns out that yeah. that, that, that maybe the UK uh, phenomenon uh, being uh, a summertime thing really is, is is just a regional climatic thing that has nothing to do with anything else. In other words, if the conditions were different like they are here in many places, that, that it might be a year-round uh, year phenomenon. 
Well, well, the, the point is that, that uh, the phenomenon needs somewhere that it can make an imprint. Mm. And when the, the crops have gone, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing left for it to, to make an imprint. We've had them, uh, well, in Moscow one year, there was one in snow. Right. Um, there have been several in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, on, in ice. Yes, I've read there's some. Been some in sand. Um, there was an extraordinary set of designs in um, Australia. Whether it was in Melbourne or not, I'm not. I'm not quite certain. They're quite, quite elaborate and amazing designs in, in sand. Really, anything that, that can take can take an imprint. And of course, in the states where you've got due to due to your climate and due to the vastness of the of the country, you you have crops uh, uh, all year round. Right, available all year round at some. Available, yeah. Right. Very, very interesting. So uh, let me ask you a question about uh, the, the connection between the porous stone, for example, the chalk land or the limestone, and the uh, uh, electromagnetic effects. Hmm. Why, why, is well, that signi- why would that be significant? Well, um, there's, a, there's a good work of, of, of energy lines that run right around our planet. And these uh, expand and contract uh, according to how the tectonic plates on the Earth uh, react. And if there's, if there's an earthquake or a volcano, uh, as others, uh, it doesn't matter where it is on the planet, but that will affect the energy lines and will, will make them expand and, and you get a greater release of uh, of electromagnetic fields. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's also a, a, a recent survey has been done, which is uh, very, very fascinating. I've known about it for about 10 years, that a lot of the um, black spots on the roads where the, most of the accidents occur, and they're called accident black spots, oh. occur about 72 hours before there is tectonic activity i.e. before a, a volcano erupts or an earthquake happens. Really? And I think it's Michael Persinger from Laurentian University who's done extensive research on this subject. And he finds that, uh, and other people there, have found that um, when there's a huge release of electromagnetic fields, um, it affects areas of our brain which cause us to hallucinate. And people driving along the road we say, oh, I, it was just before I hit that tree huh. that I, I, I had this accident. And, of course, there's no trees. Uh, or just before I got to that sharp bend. And there isn't a sharp bend. The road was dead straight. Right. So it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. <laughs> it's electromagnetic fields and, and, in fact, quite alarming at times. Amazing. You know, and there, I guess this would be related. I know there are stories about... Uh, ball lightning and things like that that occur during earthquake and tectonic activity and volcanic activity and and again these are EM yes. EM releases or something. Well, it is. It's a release of these these yeah these electromagnetic fields. Yes. Okay. All right. So uh, so so the 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 porous rock, the chalk or limestone, allows that somehow uh, is is a better conductor of that than than other material. Yeah, that's right. Okay. okay. Yes, indeed it is because yes, because uh, um, 
you get you get water underneath, and of course the water and electricity um, they act as, as attractive mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. You get the, the negative and the positive ions, I O N S, and 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 they act as as, as attractive. And as a scientist friend of mine from York University, uh, well, I wish he were on the telephone to explain it in a, in a, in a more uh, coherent way. He says it's, it's rather like um, a, a toroid or a donut, the way the, the energy spirals, the electromagnetic energy spirals up rather like a, uh, a donut from, um, mm-hmm. from the, the aquifers underneath and then uh, meets the force from above. Hmm. Wow. Okay, so, <sighs> so if that is the case, if something like that is happening, we, I mean, obviously this, the, we still have the question of how, how, why, by whose hand, or is it the earth, or, uh, yes. and, and I guess those are questions that, that, that remain. Are people still uh, speculating as, as, as wildly about, about the source of these things as, as always? Well, uh, yes, I mean, we don't know. We, we well, certainly, so far as I'm concerned, um, I believe there's, a, there's an intelligence behind these, these crop circles in order uh, to produce the patterns that that the very 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 complex, huge and amazingly geometrically accurate formations that appear. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what explanation is there for that? And and whence comes the information and the the technique to create these extraordinarily um, mathematical designs? Yeah, they are. They're 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 just fantastic. I'm looking at this one uh, uh, from Garsington in Oxfordshire. Uh, oh yes. From uh, the 15th of July, and uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful pattern, and it's just perfect. <laughs> there, um, there was there were three in Oxfordshire. No, maybe even four in Oxfordshire this year. Um, it, it was busier than usual. Uh, in Oxfordshire, and again, you get the, the band of, uh, of chalk going right across that uh, part of southern England. Mm-hmm. Well, that's actually almost up into, into the, the southern Midlands. Wow. Hey, can I ask you a story about, uh, if you'll, t- tell me about the first one you ever saw. The first one I ever saw? The, f- the first yeah, crop circle the first you ever saw, you or your, what hooked you? I mean, the first experience that you had. How long ago was it now? Was uh, it? Yes. Um, well, the first the first circle I ever saw was down at uh, uh, below Chesterfield Head in, in in Hampshire. It was east of Gypsy Lane, and it was the it, it, it was the year where we started getting um, um, what we called um, dumbbells because there were two um, circles and then linked by a linear shaft in between. Okay, and. That was the first one I went into, and that was, that was absolutely amazing. Um, but the one where I had the first real experience was, was later on that year at a, a place called Morstead, which again wasn't far from Tipsy uh, um, Lane in, in, in Hampshire. And I'd uh, been playing tennis the night before I was due to have my first aerial flight mm. over the crop circles. And it was it was a mixed doubles, and it was it was quite a quite a, a tough game. And, and one of the men on the opposite side had hit the ball very hard at the at the net, and I I got it back, but 
I must have done something to my shoulder uh-huh. uh, in, in so doing because that night when I tried to uh, get my arm up to even clean my teeth, I, I, I couldn't do it. Right. And, and um, I thought, well, it'll be fine. I'll, I'll, you know, it'll be fine in the morning. But, uh, in fact, it wasn't. And I thought, goodness, how am I going to drive down to the airport? Anyhow, I've got a gear shift car. Right, right. My, my right hand. And my gear shift car, I, I changed with my left hand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so I could just easily steer very gently with my, with my right hand. And I got down to the, to the airport and, um, with my sister and a friend, and we took off and we flew over a fantastic circus. And it's, it's something that um, really you need to do if ever you have the chance, oh. because when you go into them from the ground, you get the magical physical impact of them. But you can't see. You can't see what the shape is. Right, right. And flying from above, it, it's just absolutely mind-blowing. Anyhow, I, I, forgot, I forgot my problems. And um, on the event, we found three or four fantastic circles. And then on, on driving home, I, I realized, in fact, that, yes, my shoulder was in, in bad trouble. So we stopped at the circle at uh, Morton, and uh, I went in, and we all went in, and I doused with my pendulum for, um, well, I doused for the yin and the yang. That's quite helpful because Mm. um, those are energies, negative and positive, light, dark, male, female. And um, being female, which is yin, uh, we all need balancing up. This is the whole point of, of yin and yang, is to, is to, is to find a balance. Right, right, right. And so I found a, a, a strong yang spot, and I sat down, and I uh, I felt an energy ripping through my shoulders all of a sudden, and I thought, well, is this really happening? <laughs> and uh, yes, it was. <laughs> I thought, well, I wonder what he's doing. And I twiddled my, my right shoulder, and there was no pain at all. The pain had gone completely. Wow. And um, so I thought, well, mm, this, is, this is extraordinary. So I, I called this, this friend of mine who um, has got a condition called systemic scleroderma, mm-hmm. which has various nasty side effects. Mm-hmm. And um, I said to her, come and sit here, Maggie, I said. Um... I didn't say, I just said it's a, it's a good spot. I, just, I didn't say what happened to me, I just said this is a good spot. So she sat down and she said, oh, and she said, I feel wonderful. I wish I could, I wish I could stay here forever. And mm. I had measuring to do and diving to do and other things to do. And when I came back there, she was lying flat on her back and, and, uh, and I said, Maggie, Maggie, what are you doing? And she said, well, she said, I haven't been able to lie flat on my back for, for about 15 years. And in, indeed she hasn't, because this is one of the effects of systemic scleroderma that you can't. Hmm. Um, it's to do with the sinker muscle and esophagus and all sorts of unpleasant things. And she has to be propped up in bed for 15 years, and there she was lying flat on her back. Amazing. Well, this was, this was utterly dramatic for both of us. Uh, because neither of us had expected anything to happen, and quite independently, we, we both had these amazing, these sort of healing um, uh, effects. So that was the point in which I said, right, now I've got to look into this. No research in this area had been done. What was it affecting uh, human beings, living systems? 
And so that started me off on my journey. And I'm still on my journey. Oh, absolutely astonishing. You know, uh, as you were relating that amazing story, you made me think of something that I hadn't thought about before, and maybe you have, but uh, is it possible that they're a marker? In other words, that it's sort of like, uh, I guess my question is this, that spot that you found, that good spot of yang energy that, hel- that helped your shoulder and helped your friend, was, is, does that spot exist there without the circle? And was the circle just a marker to say, hey, come here? Or is the circle uh, generating the effect uh, in and of itself or a combination of the two things or something maybe? Well, uh, very, very possibly. I, I don't, I, it's hard to, to say yes or right, no right, right. Uh, to, that, to that question. Um, it just happened that was the spot that, that, suited, that suited me. There might have been, uh, and also Maggie, there might have been other spots in the same formation which would have suited other people. It all, it's, on a, it's on a very personal basis. I mean, mm. just because I find one spot beneficial doesn't mean to say that somebody else is. It, it just happened that it did suit Maggie as well. But, but I sat down and I've been in a circle and, and felt pretty rotten. And other people have felt absolutely fine. Mm. Um, so I think it, it's very much on a, on a personal basis to, according to one's own uh, metabolism. Um, it, yeah, there's, there's no sort of... So Smithless says that, well, occasionally I do find one, one circle that, that I, I do know is, is really almost completely beneficial, but uh, there, are, there are so many uh, yeah, results that one can have that one, they're not always, always good. Right, and we're all individual systems, and we're all different, and we all have these different electromagnetic signatures of our own, right? Yeah, that's right. Yes, indeed. And, in fact, I've got over 600 reports on my database sent in by people, because after this experience, I got out a questionnaire, and we've adapted it over the years to answer more and more questions. Mm -hmm. And I went up to the World School of Medicine in London with a colleague of mine, a medical colleague, and she and I then put these these effects into into categories, and I I can read them to you. It's it's very interesting. Um, Oral. Um, Now, there's a particular metallic taste that one can get, uh, well, I certainly get, and and certain other people do, when I'm in crop circles, and I never get it anywhere else, and some people say that's the litmus test of a genuine crop circle. And it's well, I call it metallic, but some people want it as, as a better explanation because, mm-hmm. as I've never experienced it before, I, I can't actually relate it or compare it to anything else. And it, it's invasive and cloying, and you can't spit it out, and you can't rinse it out, and mm. it suddenly is there, and then you lose the crop circle, it goes. Mm. And I was giving a talk ooh, about 10 years ago in, in the States, and there was a, a, a lecturer talking about uh, spontaneous combustion. And after my lecture, when I just happened to have mentioned this strange metallic taste, he, he came up to me and he said, you know, not many people survive spontaneous combustion. But he said one man did, and he reported this strange uh, metallic taste that I'd been talking about. Hmm. Uh, some sort of neurochemical reaction, obviously. Uh, then there's tooth pain and unusual thirst. 
uh, cranial, which of course leads to headaches, uh, ocular vision changes, mm-hmm. uh, hallucinations, uh, auditory, which is hearing, uh, gut, uh, this is quite unpleasant, this is nausea, diarrhea, sudden hunger, etc. Systemic, which is dizziness, uh, weak knees, leg pain. A lot of people get terrible pains in their legs. Mm-hmm. And then mental. This is, this is really the, the largest uh, category where your thought processes are affected and you get short-term memory loss, feelings of panic, terror, evil. But then on the other side, peace and love and light and mm. uh, a sense of a, of, a, of a presence. Now, that all may sound pretty terrible and alarming, and I think the reason that I get many uh, negative physical reports is that when people are going to visit the crop circle, many people have never been into one before, and they're full of excitement and wonder, and they could day out, and it's, it's the countryside is wonderful, and the crop circle is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And if they then feel well, that is so unexpected that they very kindly report it to me. And... The beneficial results, if somebody feels a little bit better or quite a bit better, they think, oh, you know, I expected to feel better anyhow. Right. And I don't really get, unless there's a pretty dramatic healing event, I don't get a lot of uh, physically uh, beneficial reports. Hmm. Uh, but psychologically, I would say that uh, 90% are beneficial. Interesting. Very interesting. The um, yeah, mm. I, I I would I would uh, I do anything to be able to fly over one of them too. Like you say that that I yeah, yeah. I, I see the I, I see the images that uh, the photos that you take, and you're a wonderful photographer too. Um, was was that something that uh, your your photography skills did that come out of this, or were you a photographer beforehand? Yes, oh, they did very largely. Yes, indeed. My my eldest son's a professional photographer. And he was a, a, a great help to start with. But aerial photography is something quite quite apart from anything, any, any other type of photography, because you're you're moving. It's a, it's a moving uh, um, a moving uh, area. Yeah, you're and moving, moving pretty quickly. The plane is moving. Too. The ground is moving beneath you, etc., etc. And and of course you're also dealing with the well, we seem to be dealing with the vertical distortion of, of gravity at times from inside the, the crop circles occasionally I've had the most fantastic, wonderful picture in my in my frame of, of my camera and you you take me there for a moment and the damn camera won't work. <laughs> and we fly out of the circle and it's absolutely fine. Ah, so this and is... back in and again it won't work and I and it, it drives on mad. <laughs> um, so this and is sort of what you one were... pilot whose whose instruments were so severely affected when he was flying over his crop circles he he, he decided he wasn't going to do it anymore. Wow. So that so that's what you were alluding to earlier when you're talking about the effects on on these pieces of equipment. I, well, that is that is from the from the gravitational point of view. We don't know how far this, this gravitational distortion uh, goes up. Um, we, we really have no way of, of of judging that. But certainly on the ground, yes, uh, we also get these. Uh, Numerous, absolutely vastly numerous uh, reports of, of, of people's um, camcorders going, and they've just, you know, they've recharged the battery the night before, and right. and they're going to the circle, and they're absolutely thrilled with the beauty of it all, and then they find that their battery drained the moment they stepped inside the circle. <laughs> 
Well, that, that that it blows me away that it's affected you up in the plane, though, too. I think that's just amazing. Well, you see, that's, yeah, that, that is the, the, the rise in vertical distortion, yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, gravitation distortion, yeah. Have, have there have there ever been any um, any instances where uh, instruments on the plane or anything like that have been affected? Yes, yes, I, I was mentioning that one of the pilots. Oh, okay. His, his okay. instruments was, was so badly affected. Oh, and he, he 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 doesn't fly over them anymore. Okay, all right, all right. I I, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't I didn't put that together. Well, yeah, it, um, amazing. Yeah, that's something else. So. So again, this is obviously a marker of of those that are quote unquote legitimate as to uh, as to something that was done by guys with ropes and boards and stuff. Yeah, like yes, absolutely. Hmm. Wow. All right, Lucy. Look, uh, it's the bottom of the hour. Let's uh, take a little break here. I'm going to put on a piece of music and we'll come back and chat a little bit more. Okay. Okay, that's fine. Yes. All right. Just a moment. We'll be back with Lucy Pringle, and we're talking about crop formations and. Uh, these uh, interesting phenomena associated with uh, with them, not only their uh, striking beauty and just the way that they're uh, laid out on the land, uh, but there's also a lot of really interesting things that uh, that are associated with with them. So we'll continue to talk with Lucy about some of these things in just a uh, just a few moments. And in the meantime, we're going to play one more song from Ron Erickson. This song is called "One of These Daydreams." And I hope you like it. You can learn more about Ron uh, on the website at MikeHagan.com and just click on uh, music tracks there. Okay? All right, this is Mike, and you are listening to Radio Orbit. Lucy Pringle is on the line with me. We're talking about crop formations. Her website is www.lucypringle.co.uk, and you can also get there from MikeHagan.com and just look at uh, tonight's guest. Okay, back in just a minute. This is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit.
And uh, this is Mike, and you're listening to Radio Orbit. And my guest is Lucy Pringle, and she's speaking with us live in the early morning hours in the United Kingdom. And we're talking about crop formations, and Lucy's an expert on the topic, been studying it for many, many years. And uh, we're back with you. Hi, Lucy. Hello. Hello. The light, the, my lights are blue. My lamp is out. My bed is blue. <laughs> well, it's all right. I've turned on another light. You know, it has been... I've I've been talking all night. Uh, I, I'm on the air for an hour before uh, before I brought you on the air. But uh, the the first half hour of my show, I was talking about what a strange day it's been, and I've had all these sort of weird things happen to me today, and and I've have been sort of feeling not particularly well, but just sort of strange. And uh, it's it's sort of gone on all day. It, it continued tonight when I came into the radio station, and then right as I was talking about this in my first hour. Uh, the the thermostat for the uh, for the temperature control here in the studio just fell off the wall right on the floor and uh, it happened right as I was telling a story about the Tibetan Book of the Dead being published in English for the first time in 1300 years. <laughs> yes, same thing, same thing. <laughs> so uh, anyway, yeah, lots of weird electromagnetic effects tonight apparently, and it's a full moon uh, approaching us as well, and of course that. Uh, uh, at least in the folklore, uh, has effects on all these things as well, and I think there's actually scientific yeah, yeah. Uh, evidence to that uh, to that effect as well. So, yeah. mm-hmm. anyway, okay, well, Lucy, um, uh, this uh, the conference that you were at at Goddard. Um, I was just reading a little bit more about the article uh, while while we were on break there. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you you were talking about particularly at the conference? Yeah, yes, I was I was sort of bringing people up to date with 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 my research and 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 how. I've been trying to investigate these um, these uh, effects of, of the electromagnetic field. What, what we're dealing with, of course, is the residual, the leftover effects of, of an electromagnetic field, because uh, an, an electromagnetic field is a moving field, mm-hmm. uh, unlike a, an electrostatic, which, of course, is what it says, it's static. Um, and um, so it's, it's a residual effect, and these are to be found when people go in and they're in the corn and in the soil and in the seed head. And in fact, we've done, uh, uh, two years ago, we did some preliminary research into the uh, um, protein content in, in seeds taken from inside a, uh, a circle as, a, as opposed to the control samples from outside. And we found that there was an increase of 40% in the, in the protein level, hmm. which is really quite substantial. Right. And unfortunately, that lab has uh, since closed down, and we haven't been able to repeat that area of research, which I think is, is very important. But I think hopefully next year, um, Jim Lawrence up at York University will have found somewhere else where we, we may be able to continue this, this line of research, which will, uh, could, be, could be very important. Mm. And really, my area is, is uh, what's been happening to... Um, to the, the living systems, and, and then I get a oh, several number of reports sent in quite independently, all telling me more or less the same thing. I, I say, well, right, this is the moment when I'm going to try and prove scientifically why these effects are happening, and, mm. and a lot of people were getting um, changes in uh, levels of consciousness and, and going into states of euphoria, because... Um, there's quite a spiritual aspect to uh, this phenomenon as well as the scientific aspect, and 
many people have had really quite wonderful um, uh, uh, effects, wonderful things happening to them. And um, uh, it's almost like a, an out-of-body experience. Mm-hmm. When people come back from an out-of-body experience, mm-hmm. they find that they, their whole attitude to life has changed. They're much more positive. Um, and they find that they can heal. Well, well, indeed, they can all heal, but people then are aware that they can heal. Mm-hmm. And many people have had sort of almost rape to Damascus experiences when they've been inside a crop circle. So on, on the very uh, mundane scientific side, I, I thought, well, I wonder what's happening to people's brains, because just like mm-hmm. you get effects of uh, uh, accident black spots are affecting areas of their brain due to the electromagnetic field. Right. I thought, well, obviously, there, there's a test uh, going on um, in, in the crop circles. So for 12 years, we've been doing tests on, on brain activity, EEG, and it's, it's shown that there was quite a, a dramatic pull to the right-hand side of the brain. Really? Um, when people go into, into uh, crop circles. Um, also, there's something known as alpha blocking. And we have four levels of consciousness, all at different uh, frequencies. Uh, you get the beta, which is the... Uh, well, I'm in the beta now when I'm talking to you because that's my sort of concentrating, um, uh, active, uh, aware level. Then you get the alpha, which is the link between the, the beta and the, uh, the theta. It's the link between the conscious and the subconscious. Okay. Um, Deeper is the next level, and this is where you can you can dive the best, and you heal the best, you receive healing the best, and then the, the, the final level is the delta, and this is the sleep level, hmm. and that's about half to four hertz, something like that, or three hertz. And so, so this is interesting um, that they're getting these, and these have been oh over over periods of twelve years, we've been getting these. You say in the talk, the only year he didn't is when I, I took the scientists quite blind. Uh, well, they weren't blind, but he did test, blind tests in, um, in a, a man-made formation. Mm-hmm. They had no idea because it was, it was man-made, nor did the guinea pigs. And we, we got none of these anomalies. So that was quite a basketball. That was a valuable exercise. Very, very interesting, yeah. Um, and then the other, other area which is, which is particularly uh, interesting is the change in, in hormone levels. And that really came about again as a result of people going into one particular formation that had appeared during the daytime, which again is unusual, hmm. opposite Stonehenge. And that in itself was a, was a very curious story because a pilot had been uh, taking a photographer Round, flying around Stonehenge, taking pictures of Stonehenge, uh, which is one of our largest um, stone structures in, in, in England, mm-hmm. southern England, and it seems to have an astronomical uh, uh, connotation to it. Right, it's, right. It's, it's fantastic. It's, it's very, very well known. It's universally well known. And um, so there was only one field opposite Stonehenge at the time, and the pilot said there's nothing in it at all, just, just ordinary crop, um, no pattern in it. And he, when they finished taking photographs, 
Uh, they flew back to Thruxton. Now, Thruxton is an airport which can't be more than in 10 minutes at the very most flying time from um, staying home. And there was another pilot waiting to take the same uh, airplane somewhere else. And after it had been refueled, he got straight back in and flew back over this same period. And it found it being a lapse of more than, again, a maximum of 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. And there was this enormous formation in the field, and it was something like 903 feet by 515. Wow. And it had over 500 circles to it. And that was, that was extraordinary because not many of them actually formed during the daytime. And this was confirmed by both the gamekeeper uh, uh, and also a guard at Stonehenge. This had not been there in the morning. Was, um, uh, Lucy, was was that Rusty, uh, uh, I can't remember what his last name, the pilot? Oh, you think it was Busty Taylor? No, no, it wasn't Busty. No, it wasn't Busty who flew over. Oh, oh, that's what I was thinking. That yeah, yeah, okay, all right. No, 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 Busty, yes, you're quite right. Busty was, is a pilot, yes. And, um, and, um... So at any uh, rate, yes, this thing shows yes. up in 40 minutes, basically. Well, well, probably even less. Right. Because when I was doing research on, on for my first book, I interviewed hundreds of people, and, and many of them told me that they had seen these um, things appear. And for one, one reason or another, uh, I discarded their stories. Hmm. Usually, one of the main reasons being that if, if two people were telling me the same story and told me an identical story, I, I, I discarded that right away because... No two people ever do things identically. Right. And there were, there were three people who I, I did believe in implicitly because they're all quite independent. They uh, told me that these, they had witnessed these things occur and they happened within seconds, mm. within about four to seven seconds, uh, which really is, is, is mind-blowing. It's like just a blink of an eyelid. And this is, this is independent um, uh, evidence, and so I took that on board. So for 40 minutes, yes, it would have, it would have occurred in considerably less, less time than that. Wow. Now, th- anyhow, go ahead. The process that, that took me on to the investigation into into hormone activity were the, the reports I was in from women who had been inside this this particular crop circle and who reported abnormal and postmenopausal menstrual bleeding. Now. That, that is, you know, obviously pretty sensitive. And I thought, well, I've got to go on talking about this and mm-hmm. writing about this. And I did, and I got more and more and more reports sent in. Wow. And I thought, well, clearly they're getting a stimulation of the hormone system. So I enlisted the help of somebody called Annie Smithers, who uses um, a technique called the best technique. And this is widely regarded as being a very fine diagnostic uh, technique. And uh, we measure the the uh, levels of, of hormones. And um, over the years, we found that there's, there's quite a marked change. Um, marked change in the melatonin, which is located in the pineal gland. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, also changes in uh, testosterone, in, in adrenals. And adrenals is not so significant because um, uh, our, our, our adrenal glands work very fast. They, they have to work. There are, are fight and flight uh, uh, glands which respond when we, we have to react quickly ourselves. Uh, but one of the glands which 
quite the more disturbing is the, the thyroid gland. Hmm. And, and that is a slow-moving gland. And uh, a couple of years ago, uh, one of my guinea pigs, um, her thyroid dropped by about 40%. Wow. Because uh, we did the control samples in a barn some, some distance away from the crop circle. Then we went into the crop circle. And her thyroid had dropped uh, approximately 40%. That's a huge, a huge uh, depletion. And, in fact, Annie Smithers was quite worried and, and waited another, uh, another hour to test her again. And it had come up a bit, but, hmm, that, that's very strange. No explanation to that whatsoever. Hmm. Over a very short period of time, yeah. Yeah, two and a half hours. Wow. What do yeah, we know? What... I mean, you wouldn't see that sort of change even over months. Right, right. As you say, the thyroid is something that shifts very slowly, typically, in regular, yeah. in regular environments. Yeah. What? What? Tell me a little bit about some of your experience with animals. Have you seen effects with animals as well? How do they react around around these things? Well, they they vary. Uh, they vary. Um, there was one story about a uh, a formation at um, again it was in Hampshire. An American uh, researcher had gone into it and she admitted to find the farmer to ask his permission. This is something that we all try and do. Sometimes it takes a whole day to locate the farmer because let's take his, his field, uh, he finds his field, doesn't mean to say that his, his house or his dwelling is, is close to the field. It's right. maybe miles away. You <laughs> drive around trying to find out where he is and, and yeah. takes ages. But uh, this particular researcher had gone in uh, without asking and the farmer's wife and, and her daughter came riding along on, on their horses. Uh-huh. And they rode down the field, they rode down the tram line towards the the, um, the formation, and they were quite annoyed with, with this researcher. And the, the farmer's wife said, well, anyhow, they're, they're, they're all man-made, she said. And she, she tried to uh, kick her horse on to enter the crop circle, and the horse absolutely refused. And she said, if they stood over slap down his flanks with her whip, and mm. if they enough, it would not go in. Absolutely mm. refused to go in. <laughs> well, you may not think that they're, huh? they're, they're, they're all genuine. You may not think that this one is genuine, but your horse doesn't, doesn't like you. It doesn't think it's normal. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So, well, we, again, mixed reactions. Um, some dogs are absolutely fine in them. Some dogs are absolutely mental um, and tear around. And, and normally, you know, a passive dog goes absolutely mad. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's, again, it's, it's, it's very mixed reactions. Well, it's sort of uh, unexplained behavior, sort of unnatural behavior. This, right. is, this is what we're looking for, some, some change hmm. in, in a sort of normal pattern of behavior. Yeah, and, and again, it sort of follows uh, that all of these different animals, human beings included, are, are organisms with these different individual uh, fields and 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 signatures, and so yes. yeah, I, I mean, I guess it makes sense that we would see lots of different things from different uh, from different people and critters. Well, well, absolutely, yeah. And the um, the the endocrine system. This is really what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Is in the hormone uh, aspect, it's, it's our endocrine system which is being affected, and we have a, a whole lot of. Glands. We, we, we have starting at the top. We have the, the pineal gland, which which uh, produces the and melatonin, and 
that's the one that uh, I think there's a card called the Seat of the Spirit. That's correct. That's and correct. then you have the Pachurti Ganda, and that's, that's really the, the Master Ganda. That, that governs the rest of the of, of, of Ganda. And you then have the, um, you have the thyroid producing thyroxine, you have the adrenal producing adrenaline, the pancreas producing um, uh, insulin, then you have the ovaries producing um, progesterone and, and estrogen, and, and the testes producing testosterone. And in, in fact, this is, this is our endocrine system, and endocrinology is becoming a, a very, very important uh, area of research because um, it's found that if our endocrine system is, is out of sync, out of balance, well, so are we emotionally, physically, and mentally. So, mm-hmm. so this is, a, this is a, an important area of research. Yeah, very important. I know that the endocrine system is, and, and it's very, uh, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, very sensitive. Very sensitive, yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing that... It's certain glands are more sensitive than others, mm-hmm. yes, hormone producers, yes. Okay. All right, um, let me ask you another question about, where, since we're talking about the effects uh, that are present inside the, the circles, we've been talking about physical effects on on humans and animals. There are some effects on the crops themselves uh, that, that mm. we see sometimes. Mm. The, the, the protein, the protein, the seeds and the, the protein levels in seeds, that, that I just mentioned uh, a moment ago, that, mm-hmm. that's interesting. And also this year we were, I haven't actually got, got the results yet. Sometimes these results take a long, long time to come through. We were, we were looking into the uh, uh, blown nodes, and this is where you get the mm-hmm. little joint on, on the stalk of wheat, and there is a wax content, or there's sort of a knobbly bit, and you get a wax or starch content uh, on the stalks just by the nodes, and it's thought that, um, that there might, might be some sort of mileage in looking at the, the changes in, in starch content, uh, because it's known that um, the changes uh, uh, involved in, in, in this could affect the, some way they affect the gravity properties of the plant. Hmm. And we think that these could be changed uh, when the crop is flattened in an in unusual way, when the force hits it. Hmm. Um, and so we've been getting, we've been gathering um, stalks from the, from the field. Uh, but I haven't got the results of that so far, which, which is unfortunate. But, but these are all areas, and, and indeed Dr. Levenberg in, in, in the States, he's one of the pioneers of doing extensive research on the, on the, on the seeds and the plants uh, and, and the soil. And we've also done uh, uh, tests on the soil and found that there's an increased uh, nitrate nitrogen content there are distinct, there are distinct uh, changes uh, between the crop and the soil taken from inside as opposed to the control samples. And this is really what we're looking for. We're looking for uh, changes right. between, the two, between the two samples. Lucy, are, are they discrete? In other words, the, the, the borderline between... Uh, the, a sample taking, taken inside of a formation and outside. I mean, is it literally like a like like a line, like anything on this side, and then and then two inches on the other side? Uh, you don't see the effect. Well, that, that's a, that's a that's a good question because 
Um, no, no. That, that's a very good question because um, Dr. Levin did find, and, and I found evidence of this in, 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 a, in a circle, that in fact the, the force extends just beyond the flattened area. Now, this was done by extensive gathering of crop. Um, you could see the sort of slightly tapering off effect. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't physically witnessed this until I went into a formation which was in canola, which is the uh, yellow flowered crop. And this is our first one in England there, uh, which, which takes the, the imprint. And it's usually May, uh, April or May. Mm -hmm. And I was going in looking for evidence of, of human involvement. And I often go towards the edge, um, because people there went into some, uh, people going in after the event usually get in the center. Mm -hmm. And you're going to find more evidence of, of any human involvement, um, at the edge, and that's going to be undisturbed evidence. Uh, I see, I see. Um, and in canola, the, um, the stalks grew very easily, so I thought well, around the edge, um, if, a, if a board had been uh, passed around, um, then you'd see evidence of bruising on the first row of standing stalks. Mm. Well, I got to the edge, and yes, there was bruising on oh, about, about six, eight inches up from the bottom of the stalk, and I thought, oh, Lord. Um, this is bad news. And then I uh, went down on my hands and knees and I found it more closely. And I found that that bruising extended about uh, 8 to 10 inches into the standing crop. Mm. Now, no board could have done that uh, without actually knocking down right. uh, the, the crop 8 to 10 inches in. So I took pictures of that and that really showed that the force had extended beyond the flattened area, about 10 inches beyond, which had actually marked the, the, the lower part of the, of the stem of the crop. You, don't, you wouldn't be able to see that in wheat. Right, you right. wouldn't, because it, it doesn't do so easy. Canola is a, a strange crop. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a hollow stem crop. And it, um, it, it um, breaks if, if it uh, snaps, if it's bent at an angle of more than 40 degrees. And again, this is, a, this is where we can test the genuineness of a, of a canola formation. And we had one this year, and three, three people from Yorkshire, they tried to replicate it uh, also in canola. They couldn't. They couldn't. They, they snapped. They snapped the, the stems. Huh. Fascinating. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, I tell you what, we're, we're we're at the top of the hour. Um, I need to take a a short break. Or can you stick around just a little bit longer with us? I have a couple yeah, more things I'd really love to ask you. Maybe talk to another ten minutes if that's okay, Mike, because I've, I've got I've got quite a uh, a busy schedule sure, sure. ahead of me today. No problem. We'll we'll, we'll take. I, I tell you what. Well, let, let's keep talking, and I'll take a break after we get uh, okay, after, after yes. you and I are through that way. That way we won't we won't waste yes. our time. Um, okay, I have a question about. Uh, I was going to play this song called Rosetta Stone, and oh. for, for, for a long, long time I've had this idea that, you know, as, as I've sort of watched myself, these things sort of evolve over time, that there's some sort of communication going on or some sort of attempt at that or some sort of an attempt to teach 
uh, or something like that. Could could you speak to that at all? Well, I think this this is this is on a sort of personal level, isn't it? Um, hmm. Just like um, the interpretation of many of the shapes, the patterns, is again on on a on a personal uh, interpretation level. There was I was talking to a medical student just uh, this summer, and she was looking at two of the formations because I always have my my board out of the, of the photographs, and they, they look absolutely stunning. And she looked at one and she said, oh, that's, a, that's the pattern of a virus. Well, there were other people around, so I didn't have time to ask her what, what virus there could be. And then another one she left onto, which was um, three circles with a, with a triangle in the middle, cutting into the three circles. And she said, well, that's, that's used in an eye test, because in fact the triangle is, isn't present, but you, you think you see it. <laughs> and so she she's looking at it from a from a medical point of view. Amazing. And other people see them from from a whole lot of different different aspects. And in a way this is this is one of the wonders of the phenomenon that they are there for everybody. The phenom- phenomenon is there for absolutely everybody and anybody who wants to become involved is is there. Um the one thing I, I do always stress is that when you go in please please Try and ask the farmer's permission, or if you haven't, um, from a vantage point, you can very often see the formation. And what you must do is count the prime lines from the edge of the field hmm. uh, to the formation, so that when you go into the field right. uh, from your vantage point and you can no longer see the formation, that you count the, the prime lines again, and then you go straight into the formation. But so many people, unfortunately, they just wade into the field at any old place and they walk straight across it. Mm. And, of course, this sense the farm has been minted. Right. And it's ruining their crop, it's their livelihood. And this is why there's a tremendous amount of antagonism growing amongst the farming community um, as more and more and more tourists come over. It's getting quite a commercial venture now. People from Japan, Romania, all mm. over the world come over. And they they come out of these uh, uh, coaches and things, and they swarm into the field by dams. And many of them just they go straight across the field. It's, it's terrible, mm. and you mm. know the farmers uh, are really up in arms. So that is a big big key to researchers to just observe the <coughs> observe the, the code of conduct, so to speak, and and remember that it's, it's, it's right. the farmer's livelihood. Right, and, and go down the farm line and never never walk across the field. Mm. Sorry, sorry, that's the next tip. <laughs> no, no, I mean, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, people don't think about that sort of stuff. And, and, uh, well, everyone... they get so excited, don't they, the beauty of it. I mean, in a yeah. way, it's understandable, and they, they, they forget. Yeah. They forget that this is the farmer's land and that, you know, we're trespassing. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, and I'm sure, uh, I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are some farmers, uh, and people, landowners who, who, who appreciate the, uh, uh, the the art for what it is, but at, but at the same time, as you say, I mean, this is the way that they make their livings and stuff, and and their and their their livelihood is literally being destroyed. So, yes, yes, that's it. Yeah, but uh, so, so many many of them they, they they're so appreciative if you if you do ask. Hmm. And just just another little thing, um, I I don't say to people that as they really don't know what they're dealing with, is that if you're pregnant or thinking of becoming pregnant, I I just say well. You know, think twice before you go in. Mm. And due to all the electrical failures, right. um, 
Uh, some people have a health device which is geared by batteries, such as a pacemaker. Again, I would hesitate. I, I always take people on maybe one or two uh, tours, day tours around, around the circles in, in the UK in the summer. And there was one man this summer who, who had a pacemaker. And he'd heard what I'd said, and he'd gone to see, very sensibly gone to see his doctor in the States beforehand, saying mm-hmm. that he wanted to go into drop circles. What was the doctor's opinion? Would he be safe? And apparently he'd had a new sort of pacemaker put in, which the doctor said, yes, should withstand. In fact, it was built to withstand various uh, electrical uh, magnetic fields, because the mm. crop circles, I think, are not the only place mm. uh, where you, you will uh, experience certain extents of electromagnetic fields. So I must say, I took him in and you know, I watched him with the eye of a hawk, I can say. He said he walked out, you know, yeah. uh, walked, walked out on both his legs and, and all the rest, and he was, he was absolutely fine. Wow. Uh, that, was, that was quite a relief to me. Well, I tell you what, you're 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 you, you remain in the middle of a mystery, Lucy. Yes, indeed. And yes, I'm still here. I'm still here. If the mystery had been solved, I think I'd have moved on to something else. <sighs> um, it's it's the mystery that keeps me here. Well, it is a fascinating story, and 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 every every year I uh, I look to uh, I look to the Lucy Pringle website to see what's happening on the fields there in in uh, in the UK, and apparently it's uh, it is happening all over the world now as well. And I don't know if it's always happened around the world or if we're now just recognizing it. But you know, we live. Uh, I'm calling you from from Missouri, which is in the the quote unquote heartland of the United States, and there's a tremendous amount of farming. Uh, that goes on in our area here, and I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that I don't even know if anything like this has been reported in in this part of the country. Well, I'm sure it has, Mike. I, unfortunately, I haven't got Jeff Wilson's graph in front of me. I, I should have brought brought it up. Uh, I should have got it got it with me because um, that showed me it was. It, he's done it brilliantly. He's he's shown a, a graph of where the crop circles appear in, in, in the states, what areas, what states they appear in, and, and um, I'm sure you've had them in Missouri. Well, I think, what was his name one more time? Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson. Yep. All right, that's enough information for me to, to, to track that down, I think, and for, and for the listeners yes. as well. So, All right, yes. well, uh, look, Lucy, we're uh, about out of time. I know you've got a busy day planned, so... Um, let me just say thanks, and we'll give out the website one more time. I know you have a couple of books, at least, and you have some... Uh, some are you still doing the calendars? Wonderful calendars for next year, yes. All right, well, all that stuff and more is available at lucypringle.co.uk. That's lucypringle, P-R-I-N-G-L-E, dot C-O, dot U-K. And uh, you can also uh, get there directly from, from my website at mikehagan.com. So, all well, right, Lucy... I was just going to say, if, if, if people did that, they're helping me with my funding my research because they're all self-funded, and I, I um, produce these other things in order to try and continue with this research because I do think it's slightly important. And so anybody who buys anything, just to let them know that they're actually contributing to my research. <laughs>
All right, thank one, you very much. Wonderful, and uh, and and I I, I second that uh, second that motion. I think you're doing wonderful work, and I and it's such a fascinating topic. And I'm I'm uh, I I would love to see uh, some more answers uh, come out, so we know a little bit more about what's happening. But uh, certainly, at, at many different levels, fascinating stuff. They're beautiful to look at with the eyes, and they have all these other amazing things that are associated with them. So just uh, just tremendously interesting stuff, Lucy. All right. Well, thank you very much, and uh, we will let you get on with your day. We'll talk to you again. Okay, Lucy? Thank you. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Thanks very much. I have, too. And one more time, that's lucypringle.co.uk. Take care of yourself, Lucy, and we'll talk again. All right, everybody. That uh, was Lucy Pringle, and uh, she came to us live from Hampshire, her home in Hampshire, England. And we appreciate her getting up early in the morning and spending some time with us to talk about these interesting and beautiful phenomena that are happening all around the world uh, in fields of wheat and other crops. All right, this is Mike. We're a little late on our top of the hour, but uh, you're listening to Radio Orbit, and we will play another song by Henrik. This is Leek, and uh, the song is called Rosetta Stone. This is from Enola Gay. Check it out. We'll be back in just a few minutes. This is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. Thank you. 